This is the suit I wear every wedding. I only have one suit. My in-laws got it for me. It's a nice suit. I wear it every single wedding. And then I have something that I want to read, that I read every single wedding. I actually read it during the rehearsal as well because I think it's that significant. It sets the tone for the time. And I think it might set the tone for us in our time. Marriage, I know that's a scary word for some of you in this room, but that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Marriage is a sacred institution, the basis of human society and should be held in high honor among all men and women. We are assembled here in the presence of God to join this man and this woman, they seem to be missing, in holy marriage which is instituted of God, regulated by his commandments, and blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us, therefore, reverently remember that God has established and sanctified marriage for the welfare and happiness of humankind. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Goal goal of marriage isn't to lose all your money, isn't to have a good try. He says, God has established, sanctified, set apart marriage For the welfare and happiness of humankind. Our Savior has declared that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. By his apostles, he's instructed those who enter into this relation to cherish a mutual esteem and love. To bear with each other in in infirmities and weaknesses. To comfort each other in sickness, trouble, and sorrow. In honesty and industry, to provide for each other and their household in temporal things. To pray for and encourage each other in things pertaining to God and to live together as heirs of his grace. And at this point, everyone in the rooms, if you can imagine in the wedding, this is the bride had just walked down. Everyone's standing up and I say, who gives this woman to be married? You know, it was uh, was about 11 years ago, Jenny and I stood at the front of an altar with a dream. We had this dream of what we longed for our relationship and what it could be and what it should be. And I, and I just got to be honest, at the very beginning, I probably dashed my wife's hopes pretty big. So it was less than two hours of being married. We just went through the whole ceremony. And we, everyone told us on our wedding day, you got to make sure and eat the food, okay? There's, you know, everybody wants a piece of you. Sit down, take time to eat your food. And we got great food. My father-in-law uh, took care of that. And I was excited about it. I sit down to eat my food. And Jenny's sweet grandmother comes up to get a picture with the three of us. And what entered into my heart in this moment wasn't sweet grandma, but I want to eat my food, I, no lie, two hours into our wedding, uh, to our marriage, and we experience our very first conflict. One in which I go, I ain't taking a picture, I'm going to eat my food. And Jenny's like, are you kidding me? Is this the guy I just made these vows to that we said in sickness and health and all this, and cherished mutual esteem and all that other, obviously, crap? <laughs> 
I mean, her grandma's there with her cane, bending over. And no lie, I, this is my chagrin. I ate my food. <laughs> and that night we had a talk about that. <laughs> but we start with dreams about what could be and should be. And so oftentimes our dreams about relationships, our longing for intimacy, intimacy often becomes a nightmare, doesn't it? To the extent, to the extent that I think most or many in even this room have said, you know what, that whole marriage thing, the whole pastor deal, the front of the thing, I would like it, but I don't even buy into it anymore. It's just easier if you don't. Now, here's what I want to talk about tonight, because I just want to explain that one of the greatest joys in all of life you'll miss out on. One of the things that Jenny and I did start out with is we started out with an anthem, maybe a real selfish husband. But when you get married, you realize that you don't marry to sweet people. You marry to selfish people. And marriage brings out your selfishness. One of the greatest refining uh, times of your life is entering into a covenant commitment with someone else and being refined by the other person. But here was, here was our... We had an anthem, and this was our goal. This was our objective. This was our longing. And we said it over and over, and it's still our anthem to this day. How can we be better together than we ever could apart? How can we be better together? When we stood before, in front of the pastor who was my dad, which was awesome, and like a good preacher, he went long. Because every good preacher should, right? Um, I was hoping an amen, but I guess not. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) But how can you and I be better together than we ever could apart? That is the potential. That is the dream of a marriage relationship. But there's one thing that sneaks into our relationships. It sneaks in from, from the very get-go in your dating relationships to engage, and then it comes into full blossom, if you will, in a marriage relationship that will destroy that dream. Now, take a look. If you got your notes, open them up. The fate of the human race relies not on sameness, but on oneness. Here's what you need to know. God's goal is for you to experience oneness with another human being. It's a picture of how he longs to have a relationship with you. He wants you to experience full and complete oneness and intimacy. And and I just got to be honest, all the ladies are with me right now. And guys, you're kind of like, oh, I don't know. God's dream for you and a relationship with your mate and your spouse is that you would experience one heart, that you would share this one life, that you would step into oneness. What we settle for, though, is sameness because it's easier. You can kind of manufacture it a little bit. Sameness is let's just conform Let's create uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. And we kind of buy into sameness. And here's why. 
Because eventually you realize the differences that so got you excited about the other person. And you're just like, yeah, that's great. You realize they're kind of annoying. And if only they weren't so-and-so, and if only they weren't this way, then our marriage, our relationship would work out right or better. And so we then stop pursuing the great goal that we started in, on day one of marriage, and we begin to pursue a secondary goal called sameness. And you'll experience, if you're in a long-term relationship, but especially a marriage relationship. So... Let's talk tonight about how do you experience oneness? How do you experience God's dream for your marriage? How do you experience being better together than you ever could apart? How do you begin to move forward to that? Because honestly, that's the deep longing of your soul and my soul. We're hardwired to be in relationship. We, even though we don't believe it, we still have this hardwired desire of like, okay, maybe we can experience a lifelong intimate relationship that gives joy. I haven't seen it too often, but I've seen it a couple times and it gives me a little bit of hope. Let's look at what God has to say about how to experience that. If you got your notes, if you're with me already there, let's talk about first the process of oneness, the pathway to oneness. How do we begin to experience this? Because until we unpack this, here's just what I want to say. The way we're going about relationships is destroying our ability to experience oneness. We're going to hit on this hard, especially, well, I'm I'm going to get serious. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, let's go. All right, calm down now. <laughs> the process for oneness. Here we go. We're going to go to a, uh, a very common passage. In fact, it was quoted in that little uh, uh, excerpt that I read in my marriage rites. It is quoted by the Apostle Paul in a number of places. It's also quoted by Jesus twice. This is the preeminent passage on marriage. And it goes all the way back to the very first wedding, the marriage between Adam and Eve. And here's what God has to say about relationships and how they're designed. He says this, for, the reason, for this reason, a man will leave, circle that word leave, his father and mother and be united, circle that word united, to his wife. And they will become one flesh. Just underline that phrase, become one flesh. We're going to go back to those in a second. The man and his wife were both, anybody? Thank you. Naked. And they felt no shame. The byproduct of experiencing oneness is true intimacy. Is being you, naked, just you. And then we're not just talking about physically, but of course is there. We're talking about spiritually, emotionally, just being you, just naked. You're just like, this is me. I don't have to put a pretense on. I don't have to fake it. I can come as me and be accepted. I don't, I'm not self-conscious or self, any of these sort of things. I'm not trying to play the game. And honestly, isn't that what we're doing in our dating relationships? Just trying to play the game and trying to present our best self to the other person and hoping they'll like that person even though that may not really be you and you're wondering if they ever really saw me, maybe they wouldn't like me. And so you are filled with insecurity in your relationships. 
And he says, if you step into this process, the byproduct or the end result is you get to experience a relationship where you're just you. Just you. You're not playing the games. You're just you. You get to show up, and the person loves and accepts you right where you're at. Now, how do we get there? If you got your notes, here we go. Uh, the first step in the process or the pathway to oneness is uh, that first word to leave. It says that for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Leave is the, is the step of maturity. Now, I, I think we dive into relationships without having stepped up into maturity. Maturity is simply this. It is beginning to detach yourself from your family unit. There's some of you in this room that need, you long to have a, a long-term relationship, but what you're really looking for is another mama. Uh, come on, let's be honest. What you're going is, I got it good over here, mama takes care of me, and I'm just looking for another mama and her to take care of me over here. You're not detaching. Listen, listen. If you're 28 playing video games at your house, uh, living with your parents and still going to college, and you're not becoming a doctor, I know it got a little too intense, huh? Nobody liked that one. You need to detach if you want to experience relations. That is the maturing process. Detach from family. And then you begin to stabilize in life. You begin to f stabilize financially. You begin to stabilize emotionally. Early on, your emotions are up, down, up, down. Don't you like me? Don't you like me? And you begin to have the maturing process of your life where you begin to go, okay, I, I still got highs and lows, but those don't define me. I realize those are not reality. I understand. Here's what you need to understand. Feelings lie. Okay? Feelings are a terrible barometer for what's true. They're an accurate barometer for how you're doing. They just don't tell you a whole lot about reality. They just tell you what you feel. When you stabilize in life, you are able to say, you know what, I'm going up and down here. Why am I going up and down? See, mature, the maturing process is detaching from the family unit, stabilizing, and then you're moving forward in life. You're moving forward in your career. You're moving forward in relationship to God. You're moving forward in relation with one another. If, if you got someone that's waiting on somebody else, most oftentimes that's not a good thing. If you're stuck or moving backwards. And here I just would say this um, to ladies. Uh, well, and guys too. But I think gals do this a little bit more. I'm not trying to be super harsh on the guys tonight. But there's a sense where some of us, we just need to man up and... It's your call tonight to man up, and some awesome women are waiting for a man to step into the room. But here's the deal, ladies. Don't date. Yeah, okay. Not, or marry a project. Don't date or marry a project, okay? So often, oh, he'll get better, he'll do this, or I, I see the potential. Guys do this too. Oh, I, I, they're going to be great one day. You're not dating a marrying project. You're dating a mate who God's called you to become one. That you play an integral part, both of you, to make up one beautiful picture. That you're better together. 
If you're in it and you're like, I'm there, maybe you can just have a tough conversation right after this. You go, hey, let's go to the Garrett. Okay. And and leave them there. (laughs) First step in experiencing uh, oneness, the process or pathness of oneness, is this step of maturity. This leaving. The next one, I like the King James Version in this. It was in my uh, marriage rights here. And in the NIV, it says, be united. But I like the good old word, cleave, you know. Leave and then cleave. This is a union. This is a oneness. This is the picture of like taking super glue to cardboard, putting it together, and saying, there is no way that you can tear this apart. And if you do, there's going to be pieces of you and me on. On them. The idea is to be inseparable. Cleave is uh, what you're making and what people make before me when I do weddings. I make it real clear. This is a holy covenant commitment. One of the greatest breakdowns in relationships is our idea of commitment. And such a low, in fact, secular uh, studies show that one of the major breakdowns in a marriage is such a low understanding of what they committed to. See, we, we, we commit to a, a contract. Treat marriage like it's a, a two-year phone contract. Well, I'm in it for now. And then you see all the necessary baggage that comes with it. Well, you know what? I, I can't wait to upgrade. And we treat a a contract like this. I'll do blank if you do. It's based on the other person fulfilling their end of the bargain. He says, no, no, no. You make a covenant commitment. Intimacy crumbles and shatters if it doesn't have a full commitment. I'm in it for life. I'm not just saying to death do us part. I mean it. Because I think we say that because it's nice and it sounds pretty on our wedding day. But then you go, you know, it's not really till death do us part. It's just until um, it gets really too hard. And, and then something kind of seeps into the relationship and you start joking about divorce. And, <laughs> Isn't that funny? But maybe. You've seen it. You've seen it with your parents. For Jenny and I, we said from day one, The D word would never enter our conversation, period. This is divorce, by the way, if you're, some of you weren't with me, okay. (laughs) Just, D word, okay, okay, divorce. And we joke around and treat it like it's just an exchange And before God, you need to know that the pathway to experiencing oneness is first this maturity phase and maturity stage. You might be married and you're going, you know what? What I need to do is stop where I'm at and order my life with God. That's that's how you begin to step into maturity, by the way. Order your life with God. Order your relationships with God. Order your finances with God. Order your, um, your dating or marriage relationship with God. And go, God, I want to do it the way you want to do it. Whatever you show me, I'll do. And then you begin to outline, this is what a holy covenant looks like. In fact, the definition for a covenant is a promise or pledge to another person that is irrevocable. 
Amen. You make a covenant commitment before others, and often with many covenants, there's a sign, and the sign in marriage is we got a little ring. It says, I'm taken. Leave, cleave, and then one flesh. You experience leave maturity, cleave covenant commitment. The next and final step in uh, experiencing oneness is intimacy. True intimacy. True intimacy is not just physical, by the way, guys. I just wanted to let you know. True intimacy is not just emotional or relational, by the way, gals. It incorporates three things. Your spiritual, your physical, and your emotional. That they all three have to be a part to experience true intimacy. And so oftentimes what happens is us guys, we, we get on one side and go, oh, you know what? We need intimacy, and that's physical. That's sex, and we need touch. Come on, come on, get over here. And the girl's going, no, we need, uh, like, conversations. Why don't you talk about my lot, you know, day and listen to me and connect? When you talk, look into my eyes. It makes me feel loved and get emotionally connected and say, I won't cross over the line towards you in that area until I'm emotionally emotionally satisfied and vice versa guys do that on this side and say I can't really respond and connect to you because I'm stuck over here saying meet my needs the beginning part is if you want to experience true intimacy actually starts with your relationship with God and your mate your spouse or the person you're dating spiritually listen to this your, if you grow in your relationship with God together with the person that you're married to, engaged to, you will grow closer in your intimacy to one another. Hey, let me, this is just a tip for um, guys that are married. You want to enhance your sex life? Pray together. I'm serious. I'm serious. There is nothing more intimate than sharing souls and praying and getting on the same page. Spiritually, pray together. Here's a, just a nice way to understand intimacy. Um, just if you'd write, write next to intima, intimacy, just write I-N-T-O-M-E-S-E-E. Intimacy is simply this. In to me. See. I'm breaking open the cavity of my chest so you get to see what's really going on. That only truly and can fully happen when it's in an environment that the other person isn't going to run when they see what's truly going on. And you go... This is me. Now, did you notice that word become one flesh? Notice that intimacy is a process. It's not happen overnight. Intimacy is not even just static of here we arrived. It is dynamic. You are either growing in intimacy or you are decreasing in intimacy. That's why it's so important. 
to continue to work on these things that we're actually going to be talking about in the next few weeks. We're going to be talking about how to resolve conflict. We're going to be talking about sex. We're going to be talking about some of the major landmines that relationships experience because intimacy is dynamic. Now, this whole idea of one flesh, and this is going to be a revolutionary thought for some of you. Your marriage or your marriage one day is more important than your job. It's more important than being successful. It's more important than your kids. For those who are married, the greatest gift you can give your kids is a great marriage. And you begin to order your life around what's most important. Now, if you got your notes, would you do this for me? Take your notes and flip them upside down for me. Just go ahead and flip them upside down. That's how we do relationships in our world. This is how we kind of do it in our world. We start with intimacy. I don't know if it's still popular, but we used to call that hooking up. Then we decide after we've hooked up, we're going to move to some sort of commitment. And so then we shack up. And we just kind of hang out and we begin to live together. We might as well test drive the whole thing and figure out are we compatible. But inevitably, here's what you've experienced. Here's what we see around us. What happens? You leave. You break up. Here's what I just say. It's not working. Quit trying. God ultimately designed it. Would you begin to embrace a new way to experience relationships, one that brings joy and life? And the end goal is oneness. Stop beating up your head and going through the same thing and expecting different results. Would you begin to say, okay, if you're single in this stage of life, I am going to focus on what we said last week, becoming the right person and growing and then maybe you're in your dating, and you'd say, okay, we're becoming one flesh. We're going to cleave. We're, we're going to outline. I'm going to hold a high and holy view of marriage, that it's sacred, that this isn't like a nice thing we're going to do. This is, I'm in it for life, because here's why you need to know that. It will get hard, and there will be times when you want to bail out, and there's times where you're so angry at the other person, and, and you got to know there isn't an exit plan. You go down with the ship and you go, okay, we're in this. We got to figure this out. And that's when you grow and that's when you begin to experience oneness. The process of oneness is uh, Genesis 2 24. Let me give you the picture of oneness. The picture of oneness can be found in Ephesians 5 21 through 33. I don't have time to unpack this text here as much as I'd like, uh, but the picture of oneness can be summed up into two words. Mutual submission. That's the picture. Mutual submission. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in verse 21 of Ephesians 5. He says this, and he's, uh, this is a big, huge statement that he's going to unpack in your marriage relations, and unpack in your family relations, and even unpack in your work life. But let's unpack it for uh, relationships for us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Notice, submit, honor, give preference, respect, not because they deserve it, not because they've 
earned it. Not because you're in a good mood that day, and so you might as well be charitable. Submit to one another out of what? Reverence for Christ. Oh, friends, this is one of the most powerful verses on how to experience a great relationship. Remember, I was talking about the two people, one over here, and saying, I'm not going to give to you until you meet my needs. And this is where we get stalemated in relationships all the time, and we're focused on sameness. And if you would only move my way and become more like me, and then we begin to embrace, if you ever get to the point, your differences don't have to divide you. In fact, they can make you stronger. That's what you thought when you first got married, but then you lost it, and you said, you know what, I just want them to conform to me. I don't want... To necessarily compliment them. That's a lot harder. Yes, it is. But it's better. And he says, submit. Honor the other person. Not because they deserve it. Not because you're going to get something out in return. That's called manipulation. And that happens in relationships all the time. We're constantly trying to, I'll do this. And in the back of the head, you're waiting for them. And so you get frustrated, get angry. I, I remember I did this for a while. And, and I was kind of hoping, you know, in, uh, to kind of change my wife and hoping, you know, we would have more. Let's just be honest, okay? We'll talk about sex in two weeks. Now, we'd have more sex, okay? And so I decided the way I'm going to go about it is just begin to serve her over the top, over the top. I'm washing the dishes and all these sort of things. And then I got frustrated when the results didn't happen the way I wanted them to happen. Huh. Well, interesting. Well, was I really loving her? Or That's when we behave in a relationship. It's much contract. I do this, so you do that. He says, no, no, no. The basis or the picture for experiencing oneness is mutual submission, not because you deserved it, earned it, but because of your relationship with Jesus. Your spouse or your mate owes you nothing, and you give them everything in return. And he shows us how this happens. Wives, and this is an incredibly not politically correct statement here. I love how the Bible does that. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Any women live, just sit with me for a second, please. I'll explain this, for, uh, which he is the Savior. Now the church submits also to Christ, so wives also should submit to their husband in everything. Right next to this, write undeserved honor. Not because he deserved it, not because he, because he earned it. Remember, the picture is mutual submission. How does this work out? Gals, you give your husband or your future mate undeserved honor. A great word, uh, translation for this word submit would be support. Support them. Honor them. Respect them. And here's, here's the interesting part. We, we get all huffed up about this. And you know what I've watched? I've watched my wife. This doesn't mean that the man gets to like go, oh, get my way or blah, 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 blah. Did you notice? Did you notice? Here, I'll pull it in my notes. This, these notes, you can see it. Because I always teach this passage when I do weddings. Did you notice? Here's the, here's the women's part, right? Did you notice the guy's part? <laughs> Anybody? 
It's like four times longer. Now, we kind of think this is radical in our day. Here's what you need to know. This was revolutionary in the ancient day. There was plenty of codes of conduct for women in marital relationship. If you were a wife, there was in the Greek, there was codes of conduct. In Judaism, there was codes of conduct. This is how a wife is to behave and to act and honor her husband. Do you know how many times there were codes of conduct for husbands? Any guess? You got it. Big goose egg. None. This is the first recorded incidence. And, and Paul goes all out. He's like, I'm not just going to give it. I'm going to just lay it out. Because there's roles for you and I to play when we, for us to become one. And he says, wives, give your husband undeserved honor. Husbands, give your wife unconditional Love. Listen to what he says for husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. He says, husbands. See, it's easy to give honor, by the way, ladies. When you have a husband who is self-sacrificing. You know how Christ loved the church? He died for it. When he showed up, he said, I don't come to be served, but to serve. See, we flipped it out around in kind of the male machismo and kind of have this whole like classic man does this and we go, well, that's crap. You know what Jesus did? Jesus served. Jesus died for you and for I, I, me. That's how you say it grammatically. There you go. There's some work in there. That is what it looks like to be a man in a relationship with your spouse. He says, you are to give her unconditional love. See, one of the great needs for a woman is to be cherished and loved. It's just hardwired into your DNA. One of the great needs for a man is to be honored. And respect is just hardwired into your DNA. That's why Paul concludes this says, however, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and wives must respect their husband. The process for oneness, leave, cleave, become one flesh. The picture for oneness is one of mutual submission. We go into this and go, I'm going to give him undeserved honor. And he's going to give me unconditional love. Now, I'll give you a picture of how Jenny has done this in our relationship. I think uh, because I, my wife is an extremely strong woman, incredible leader, uh, and just so amazed to get to be her husband. The only marriage advice my dad ever gave me, and I'm sure he gave me more, but it's the only one that sunk in, um, <laughs> was this. And he just simply said to me, you know, Ryan, make sure you marry up. Now, what it meant was marry someone above you, you know? Marry someone who loves Jesus more. Marry someone who challenges you. Marry someone who's smarter than you. And I did all those. My men, I married up. 
Now, a few number of years ago, I was reading this book, and in the book, it was really challenging me on kind of my way I was living and the American dream and all this kind of stuff. And I just had this like overwhelming conviction in the moment. I think we're supposed to give all our money away and all our savings. And at the, that time, we had a good amount of savings saved up. And, and so I was like, all right. And I go to Jenny. I go, Jenny. And I'm so excited. I just had this like, you know, time with God and reading this book. And I'm like, charged up. I'm like, we're supposed to give all of our money away. Now, my wife, in her wisdom, here's what she said. This is what it looks like to support. She said, you know, Ryan, I don't have that same conviction. (laughs) But if you feel like God's calling you to do that, then I'm behind you. Now, here's what I learned. One of the massive things from Cleve that you have to get, this is one of those do not pass go realities, is your understanding of who you are must shift from me to we. You must experience the death of self and you begin to make decisions in terms of we. You are one. So what I understood, and I learned it the hard way, the only decision I made that... um, that I, I made, and I was like, here we're going, and she was like, I don't really think so. We ended up in Georgia in three years that were really hard, and so I was like, okay, we're making the same decisions together. And so I'd pray really, really hard, and I'm like, I'm not going to move forward until we're on the same page, because here's what I know. The same Spirit of God dwells in her as in me, and God can speak to her the same as me. She's walking and following Jesus, so he can show us how to move forward. You make decisions in terms of we. And I go back to her another month later, and I'm like, so... Yeah, I, I don't really sense that. But I'm, if, if that's what you sense God calling you to do, I'm, I'm with you. I've prayed about it, and I'm not there. She was supportive. She was honest. Now, that is one of those amazing pictures to me of what it looks like. And I go, okay, I'm going to honor her and love her. I'm not moving forward until we are on the same page. Picture of oneness, mutual submission. Let me give you some practices of oneness here. Single dating, and some of you guys are like, finally, Um, because we've talked a lot about uh, marriage tonight, and I know in our PM service we have more uh, singles here. The practice of oneness, if you're single or dating, let let me just unpack this. Your commitment is low, therefore your intimacy should be low. Commitment should always precede intimacy. That's a real good one to write it down. Commitment should always precede intimacy. Dating is one of the lowest levels of commitments we have on the face of the planet. Period. And yet we put all this pressure on dating. We put all these expectations on dating. Right at the very beginning, we put all these things on it. And we, we add to the complexity because we supersede and dive in in intimacy emotionally way too quick. Ladies, we dive in, in physically way too quick. There's some of you even that are diving in spiritually a little too quick. Like I said, praying is one of the most powerful things you can do together as a couple. I think it's important, but if you're dating, don't pray long periods of time together. Just saying. Single dating. If your commitment is low, your intimacy should be low. 
Uh, the perspective here is that you uh, of one of brother, sister, in Christ. First Timothy 5.1 says this. Do not rebu- rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat a younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute, what? Purity. My, I have a little sister, and she has... Um, just had her first baby, really exciting. Now, she had a tough go at it. She has three older brothers and one really intense dad. I mean, I, I, I didn't envy any guy that dated her, but I knew that uh, she was going to marry the right one. I mean, I, just about every boyfriend she had outside of the one she's married to, I gave nicknames to, like Nate the Snake. Josh the Sloth, and so forth. <laughs> he is an independent contractor. It just means he was out of work and looking for a job and kind of freeloading. Anyways. <laughs> like, you can't take care of my sister. Now, says that's your perspective. Guys, you need to step up and be men and treat the women in here with absolute purity and respect, and honor them. And ladies, in like manner, you need to change the way you dress oftentimes because it's messing us up. Okay? And you need to go, okay, I w- I'm not, you dre- would you dress that way for your brother? I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I, I, yeah, sorry. Okay. Diagnostic question. Here's the question you need to be asking in a dating relationship. What is the highest and best for the other person? You know success at the end of a great dating relationship, whether it works or not, is whether or not you're closer to Jesus. Did that relationship move you towards Jesus or away? Did you move them towards Jesus or away? So you begin to ask this question. What is the highest and best for the other person? Engaged. The commitment grows, so intimacy grows. Uh, This is where you begin to have, I would say, physical contact in a way that actually is meaningful. It is love-oriented, not lust-oriented. My wife, and this frustrated the crap out of me, but we both had bad relationships. We both didn't do it right before us, uh, before we met one another. So at that point, we had enough battle wounds and scars that we decided, okay, we're going to do it God's way. And she had decided she wasn't going to kiss anybody until she knew it was the man she's going to marry. It took her a lot longer than I thought it should. <laughs> but she just made that decision because she's going to allow, and, and, I, and I respected her for it, that the contact was going to be meaningful and move us forward in our relationship not sideways or backwards. The perspective here is you view the other person as a son or daughter of God. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, all are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You're no longer slaves, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. It would revolutionize your dating life. It would revolutionize your marriage. If you began to look at the other person and realize they are the son of God. 
She is the daughter of the King Most High. If you went out before your date and just reminded yourself of that one fact, she's the daughter of the King Most High. She's precious. He's the son of the king. I'm going to honor him. Question here, are we investing in our relationship as we invest in our wedding? Are we investing in our relationship as much as we're investing in our wedding? I encourage you to do premarital counseling. We do that here if you're needing that. Uh, and unpack expectations. Expectations about money, kids, finances, sex, your past, and your family. And if you're married, the commitment is secure. Intimacy can be full. It is not a guarantee. It is not just, doesn't just happen. Intimacy is not something that just is this automatic. It is a process, and it takes work. Intimacy can be full. The perspective is Ephesians 5. We read it earlier. Is your own body. We're one now. I'm going to act and move as one. That means we're not enemies. That means we have to figure it out together. We're in this. It's your one, one body. Diagnostic question if you're dating, or I mean if you're married. I want to give you three questions, and here's my uh, challenge to you, especially if you're married. Go on a date this week with your spouse. Just had to clarify that. (laughs) Go on a date this week with your spouse and ask these three questions. This will help you in in just experiencing intimacy together. What are you dreaming about? You begin to hear their heart. Begin to hear the things that they, the, the longings of their soul. What are you concerned about? You begin to hear the things that are causing anxiety and fear. And then he asks this question at the end of it, and you can go back and forth. What do you need from me? See, a lot of times we try to fix things that the other person isn't looking to be fixed. A lot of times what they need is just to be listened to, just to be present. You just go, what, hey, what do you need from me this week? What do you need from me? How, how can I be a part? How can we move as one? Maybe you have kids. I don't know if we have anybody that has young kids. We have a lot in the morning service. But if you have young kids and you can't afford to go out, that's okay. Do date nights at home. That's what Jenny and I do, and we you can't always get out. And so you do a date night at home. You make it special. You go down to the BevMo 5-cent cell and get an awesome bottle of wine. And you make it special, and you turn off the TV, and you have a deep conversation. You ask those three questions. What are you dreaming about? What are you concerned about? What do you need from me? Because the fate of the human race rests not on sameness, but on oneness. Now, as uh, we close here, um, Jay thought and brought it up that wanted to leave some time for some Q&A. And so we want to close just with some Q&A. We did it last week. It was great. We're going to do it all via text like we did last week. That was great. And so if you have questions, there's the phone number up there and you can go ahead and text your questions and we'll just spend some time. I just want to say uh, probably the next five minutes or 10 minutes or so and try to answer a few questions. That was a lot of fun last week. Um, I'm by no way a relationship expert, but have a lot of, learned a lot of ways how not to do relationships. Um, and so I don't know if there's any I can keep. Yeah, we've got... That was me. There we go. We've got a few that came in already while you were um, 
speaking. So here's, a, here's one that we'll start with. Uh, you talked about it a little bit already, but uh, maybe a practical answer. If I'm single, not even dating anybody, what does it look like to pursue oneness? Um, how do I maybe ready myself for, sorry. <laughs> single oneness, go. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, th- I think we, un- we unpacked that one a bit. And sorry, I'm going to get it to where I can look at my notes here. Um, but one, you just, you, I think part of reading yourself is realizing you don't give yourself away right at the beginning. We, we get into oneness way too quickly. Remember, we flipped that upside down in intimacy. It's just going, okay, here's some clear boundary lines. Here's what my relationship's going to look like when I enter into that relationship. Here's how I'm going to go about it. Here's the friends that I'm going to have around me to make sure I have a level head, that I'm not just getting into some of these things that I just have. Because we all have past habits, past dating habits that have given us these results where we're at. And so you need to do some work. Why am I going through this cycle with other people? What can I do to change? Who needs to be around uh, and to help me move forward healthily? That would be a couple things, I'd say. Awesome. Um, what is the consequence of premarital sex, and is a person consistently involved in it headed to hell? Um, wow, okay. Now, here's what I'm not going to answer it fully um, just because we're going to hit that in a big way in two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to talk all about sex. We're going to talk, uh, and, and we'll field uh, questions on that. So, one, the consequences of, and Paul talks about this, that when we join our bodies, and we get this, we talk about sex as if it's just physical. It's just a physical act. It's no big deal. But when you've got to ask some questions that are really deep. Why, and I'm going to get real serious, so I'll just give it to you. Why is it if someone's raped, they can't just get over it? Well, if it's just physical. See, there's some things about sex, and there's a lot of other questions we can ask about that, that we realize there's a soul exchange, and in those moments, there's deep violation. That is beyond just physical. And, and what Paul would say is that when we engage in sex, it is the two becoming one. And so when you rip into relationships, it's a piece of you going with other people. And we'll, we'll talk about that more. One, I'd say, uh, here's the reality. Jesus came because he longs for you to experience life. And if you receive Jesus as your Savior, you will experience life. It's not based on what you do or what you've done. It's based on what He's done. That's a real good place for an amen, by the way. Amen. Okay. So when we're talking about hell and what we've done, there's some people that have been beating themselves up a lot. He says, no, no, no. It is by grace you've been saved, a gift of God. And if you place your faith in the person and work of Jesus you will experience life both here and forevermore. Uh, It seems, I'm just going to paraphrase this question. This is really long. Uh, It seems like when we talk about dress codes, it's always about women. But would you say that there is, on the other side, for men, 
whether it's a dress code. I mean, you're looking really dapper today, <laughs> tonight. Um, whether it's a dress code or something else regularly that, that men do that we can address that might parallel when we talk about women and, and how they dress. Uh, well, I think that the problems are fundamentally different. And so, one, there are women who struggle with kind of looking at guys, but I, I, and I get that, but overall, the problems, guys were just hardwired, for the most part, so visual, and so that's such a big deal. Now, I mean, I, I don't, I, I think we can talk about that maybe in swim and maybe in some of these sort of arenas a little bit more, but when we're talking about kind of average looking around, you know, the room. I mean, the biggest thing we got... Oh, come on, man. You're, telling, you're basically saying that the guys in here are not good looking. I didn't say that at all. But way to pick a fight. Um, I, I mean, it, I, I would say more on the end for guys, and I, I don't see any guy like this, but I think we have a tendency not to be kind of sharp. And that's, there's nothing biblical about being sharp or not, but I think that just speaks something to a, a gal that, hey, you got it together. Um, but I, 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 I don't really see anything with guys that I know of, and ladies would be a better answer than a guy uh, to answer that. I mean, is there anything, ladies, you can think of that, um, I mean, is that deep V or the reverse V really messing you up? Um, What's a reverse V? You've never seen the reverse V? Oh, man. Uh, it's SNL sketch. Oh, uh, I have seen that. Oh. Inappropriate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. There's a few questions that have come in uh, about getting a, women's, a woman's perspective on some of these questions. Yeah. I don't know if you saw. We said this last Sunday that we would post a video, and we did. It's on our Vimeo. It was on our Facebook and our website and all that. So if you haven't seen that, Go check that out. Um, you can, we, we, Ryan gets a little bit more in-depth in some of the other questions you guys are sending. Um, just, <laughs> I just like making decisions up here. So maybe this week we'll do a video yeah. with uh, one of the women leaders in our church. We'll post that. Because I think that's really, really great. That's a great, I, I don't know who sent those in. There's a few of them that said, hey, can we get a woman's perspective? Absolutely, let's do that. I think that that's important. And can I just say that last time I did a relationship series, experienced one of the biggest fights in my marriage ever because I told everyone, yeah, so my wife's going to come share in a couple weeks, and I didn't ask her, um, and she's not an upfront person, and she did not like that. I mean, it was, it was bad, you know. It was real, <laughs> real bad. She's got a lot to say. Um, I will ask her if she would be up for doing a video. No promises, but she is amazing and has a lot to say. And we're also in, in this series going to uh, incorporate a female voice later just on Sunday nights as well. Yeah, so uh, let me, let's wrap up with one last question. Again, we'll, we'll post a video this week, uh, whether it's Jenny or another um, woman leader in our church, we'll, we'll get that going. Here's kind of a, we'll just wrap up with this one. It's a huge question, so give us one first step, practical first step. How do you heal from a relationship that broke? Yeah, um, yeah that's a huge one. Um, yeah, I don't know if there, there's a lot. It, one, healing is a process. 
And so embracing that you're in process and knowing that's okay is a huge starting point. Uh, we want to be over immediately, uh, and especially something that's been a long relationship or a lot of hopes and dreams on that. Uh, first, you just need to know you're in process. Uh, second is I'd get some great friends around you. Sometimes when we date, we push them away, but you're susceptible to making some really bad decisions in that time frame. And so I would get into a community that can really surround and support you there. Uh, and so first, healing's a process. Just know that you're normal. That's where you're at. Uh, it takes time. Uh, one of the things you just need to do, and I just I say this to guys, this is kind of the way we talk, but uh, gals, there's probably a gentler way. Um, for some, you just need to cut the umbilical cord and because you... You broke up, but you keep having this hope, and you keep going back, and it just reopens that wound over and over and over again. Ladies, this happens. Guys, this happens. I call it hitting the glass wall. You know it's there, but you keep having hope, and you just, bam, slam right into it. And so there is that season time. It's not bad. You're not mean. It's not because you're a bad person. It's not not being loving where you've got to go, I can't be around you right now. I just, I, I, I know we talked and we broke up that we, we're going to still be friends, but honestly, it opens too many wounds and I need time to heal and I just can't be around you. I need to cut the umbilical cord. You can use that line. It may not make sense. Um, and be able to go, I just need to take time, get healing with people, with God. That would be my kind of first step, I'd say there.